Excited for a road trip? Start it off right with auto coverage from American Family Insurance. J.D. Power ranked us number one in customer satisfaction with the auto insurance shopping experience among mid-size insurers. Get a quote at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. For J.D. Power 2021 award information, visit JDPower.com slash awards. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty? sizzling to perfection it's time to cheer for egg mcmuffin and fresh cracked eggs at mcdonald's it's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest to goodness morning meal breakfast it's on at mcdonald's now get any breakfast sandwich for just two bucks available only through the app mobile order and pay available at participating mcdonald's mcd app download and registration required I'm actually going to start a series today. It might be two or three Sundays, I'm not sure, but it might be four, it might be eight, I don't know. But I uh, want to talk about encounter. God is a God of encounter. You know, in the on Vision Sunday, we shared about the, the whole aspect of vision with God wanting us to encounter Him and others, and also being a people that are equipped and empowered. So encounter, equipped, and empowered. That's discipleship broken down in a very simple process. Um, so I want to talk about encounter because the gospel is full of stories of people having an encounter with God, encountering God. God isn't just, uh, you know, a philosophy or a theological concept. Um, Jesus actually appeared to people when we read in the book of Acts and he spoke to people. Paul or Saul on the road to Tarsus is another example. There were these amazing encounters that people had with the Lord throughout the scripture in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. And every time you read about an encounter that someone had with the Lord, here's the thing that we often miss out. Because I hear, you know, a lot of people today say, well, I had an angelic visitation and Jesus appeared to me and this and that. And, and frankly, um, I think that we, we have to look at things in relationship to the Scripture because anyone can say Jesus appeared to them. But the, the fact is, when you have a true encounter with the Lord, there's always a connection to commission. Every time someone had an encounter with God, there was always a commission given. Okay, I'm appearing to you so that you can do what I've called you to do. And if it's just kind of like God appearing to you and there's really no um, connection there to, to some form of commission, I really question those, whether those are biblical encounters or not. Look at it closely. Read Ezekiel's encounter. Read Daniel's encounter. David's encounter. There was always, the, you know, Paul's encounter. Uh, there was always something that happened that came out of that in terms of a, a, a charge to do something for the Lord. So very, very important that we understand that. Do you know that God reveals himself to us through his word, correct? But he also reveals himself to us through encounters, okay? So when God reveals himself through an encounter, it will never contradict his word. But sometimes we have to search for the context. In other words, hey, I've never had this happen to me before. Wow. 
you know? And, and I've shared some, some stories about different things that I've, we've seen happen, and, and God just, you know, touch people and minister to people in a very profound way. And the reality is, when you look at that, you can come up with a scriptural precedent or context for what, you're, what you've experienced. So sometimes you get a revelation. God says, hey, this is what I want to do. This is what my plan is for your life. There's other times where you just encounter him with a demonstration of his power. But the goal is, it's always to bring us to a place where we understand who he is and what he wants to do with our lives. Otherwise, you might have just had too much pizza before you went to bed. All right? Okay. So, let's look here at Acts chapter 8. Then we're going to go into Romans chapter 15. Let me give you the historical context. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus appeared to the disciples and he told them that you will receive power to be my witnesses. And you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. That's their own city. That's their Perth, so to speak. And in Judea, which is their province or their state, Samaria, which was an adjoining state, which actually um, was a distinct ethnic group, the Samaritans people, and then to the ends of the earth or to the uttermost parts of the earth. So you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness, beginning in Jerusalem, then go throughout Judea, go to Samaria, Fill your own nation, and then even go to the nations of the world. Now, what ends up happening is after a period of time, God moves amazingly. They've been faithful. They're discipling. The church explodes exponentially. But then there's a problem here because they are still quite comfortable keeping this move of the Spirit, this revival to the confines of their local community, of their city, of their region. So the next thing that we read about, very interestingly, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, inverted, is Acts 8, verse 1. And all of a sudden, we read here, now it says this, now Saul was consenting to his death. That was, Stephen had just been stoned to death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church was, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Now, what happens is God utilizes this particular persecution to cause these believers to fan out. Now, it wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the clergy or the religious leaders, so to speak, that were sent out by God to preach the gospel to the surrounding um, countryside and to the province, but it was the ordinary people. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem. I'm not really un- understanding the full reason other than they were called to do that. Later on, God would raise up, and we would see that, other apostolic leaders who would go to the Gentiles. But what ends up happening is they are sent out. Now, eventually, what takes place is there's this person by the name of Philip who had served faithfully in the local church kind of as a prototype of a deacon, so to speak, and then eventually because he served faithfully and he was, he was recognized the hand of God upon his life, he ended up getting a promotion. And if you read in Acts 21, Philip is actually called an evangelist. So he's promoted from a deacon to an evangelist. Now, there's a lesson to be learned there, isn't there? A lot of people want to be rock stars, but they don't want to learn to play the chords. Hello? Right? So you want to be faithful. I want to preach. I want to do that. But you don't want to learn to serve. 
you got to serve. you got to learn to serve, first of all. And as you learn to serve and do what God calls you to do and expects you to do, then what happens is you move to that place where God says, you've been faithful a little, I can entrust to you more. So, and every one of us who's been quote-unquote promoted and given more responsibility. The first per- church that I pastored was the largest church I've ever pastored. Isn't that interesting? So every church I pastored after that was a demotion. <laughs> I said, what, Lord? I said, am I that much of a failure? No, but, but it wasn't about that. It was just God saying, no, I put a spirit in you to build things. And so, you know, look, things have grown, right? But, and, and multiplied as well. We don't necessarily count that today. But the reality is God wants us to be faithful in the little things. So what happens here is Philip is sent out by the Holy Spirit. Let's pick it up at verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them it says this, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Isn't that interesting? Abby was sharing about joy. There was great joy in that city. Now, let me share something with you, all right? Philip is the least likely person to be commission to go to Samaria. He's not the right race. Okay? He's not the right race. It's like sending a Canadian to Australia. Just doesn't make sense. All right. No, but seriously, it's not right. He doesn't fit the bill. He is a Jew, not a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans don't like each other particularly. And then there's these big gap in theology as well, because the Samaritans believed only in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament, that was it. And so he shows up, and he's got this huge challenge before him. I'm not the right ethnic group. I don't fit the bill culturally, and I've got a message in the natural that conflicts with their theology. God, are you sure you got the right person? Why didn't you get that good Samaritan guy, you know, and and send him? Uh, But me, I'm the wrong person. But the Bible tells us that against all odds, the people unequivocally and collectively heeded the things that were spoken by Philip. Why? Let's look at it. Verse number 6. And the multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Do you see that? Did you hear that? Because of the miracles which he did, they, they gave them their undivided attention. And then it specifically speaks of those miracles. Unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many. Oh boy, it says many. Many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. So here he goes into a strong place, a stronghold, a dark place, and he, man- he preaches the gospel, he preaches Christ, but it's the manifestation or the demonstration of the power of God that captivates the people so that they listen to the message that he's about to preach. All right? 
All right, let's go to Romans chapter 15 for a minute. Romans chapter 15. This is uh, interesting. We want to look at this in the New Living if we can. Is it verse 18 and 19? Thank you, iPad, for not wanting to open up. Where we need, I wish I had an old school Bible. Uh, I have one. I really do. I love it, actually. Romans chapter 15. Going to read out of the New Living Translation simply because it really makes it clear. Now, Paul is speaking about his commission. And he says, I've been called to preach the gospel to the unreached regions of the earth. What a responsibility. To go to places where no one has ever gone. It's kind of that Star Trek thing, isn't it? And, and God says, look, this is what your calling is. You're a true apostle. You're a true pioneer, Paul. You to go to places where people have never heard the gospel into the Roman Greco world. So he, he begins to talk about his ministry and his mission. And here's what he says. Uh, and, and I want to just read starting at verse 16 in the New Living. It says, Paul says, I'm a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. Oh, and by the way, in the verse before he says, for by God's grace... I am a special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ Jesus has done through me in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. Listen to this, verse 19. They were convinced by the power of what? Miraculous signs and wonders and by the power of God's Spirit. Now watch this. In this way, I have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Now, he's saying the reason why these people, these pagans who worshipped all these idols, listened to me is because of the miracles. The miracles captivated them, got a hold of them, caused them to stand at attention, and then I was able to speak the message. So we need the message, but we need something to captivate people to listen to the message. And as much as I believe in apologetics, I also believe that it's the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to change people's hearts. Because you can reason to people with people on an intellectual level, and if their minds and hearts are close to the gospel, they'll never open up even though you present the wisest argument. And so Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 when he's saying, when I went to Athens, when I was speaking to the Areopagus, when I was speaking to the greatest and wisest philosophers of my day, he said, I did not go with the message of wise, of human wisdom, he said, and eloquence and, ex and expertise in my speech, but he said, I came with the demonstration of this spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So he's saying, I didn't come just with an eloquent message. 
It wasn't my education, my expertise, or my eloquence, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that broke through these pe to these people. And he's saying, look, if we're simply preaching a message that has an intellectual uh, power behind it, then all we'll do at that point is produce disciples who put their faith in the wisdom of men and not in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 5. Read it. So what we have today in many places is, you know, these Christians who can argue with anyone, refute anything on the basis of, you know, well, archaeologists say this, the scripture says this, science proves that, and that's all good. But the reality is, guys, that's not going to win many people to Christ. There has to be the power of the gospel manifested because the Bible says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto the salvation of everyone that believes. So there has has to be not just a message in declaration, but something that is put forth in demonstration. This is encounter. There has to be supernatural intervention where God steps down and steps in and God intervenes in silence and God shows up as a light in the darkness and he turns situations and circumstances around in such a way that people cannot help but acknowledge that it's him. So Paul actually says this, by preaching the gospel, look at this again, by preaching the gospel, verse 19, with miraculous signs and wonders, and by the power of God's Spirit, I've fully presented the good news of Jesus Christ. Fully presented. That's the full gospel. Very interesting. Do you know what it says in the Greek? In the Greek, it actually says this. By preaching the gospel with signs and wonders, he said, I've fulfilled the gospel. Presented. The word presented is not even in the Greek language. The word that is used is fulfilled. He's saying a gospel that has no power, no demonstration, is void of encounter, is not the true gospel. I have fulfilled the gospel through signs and wonders and miracles. I fulfilled it. Because the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. When Jesus was approached by messengers of John the Baptist. John had been arrested. He had been speaking boldly and telling the people who he was and that Messiah was coming. And then when he was arrested and he was about to be decapitated for his testimony, there came a point where he began to waver in his faith a little bit. You know, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he the coming one or should we expect someone else? So he sent these emissaries to approach the Lord Jesus while he was in prison to ask that question. And Jesus said, go and tell John the things you both see and hear. The show and tell gospel. The things that you both see and hear. And here's what he said. Are you ready? The lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. He spoke about people being healed. And then he said, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. If I remember correctly, Jesus actually spoke of four to five miracles, physical miracles, and only once alluded to the preaching of the message. So what he was saying is that 
It's the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated with these signs and wonders and healings that testifies to the veracity of the message. All right. Somebody said, well, anybody can do signs and wonders. The devil can. Yeah, but God can do that. God will trump him. God will overpower him. And we say, well, because the enemy does signs and wonders. Yeah, I've seen the enemy do signs and wonders. When I was in Liberia, Africa one time, I saw blood coming out of a tree. We were preaching on a radio station, and they sent people to curse us. And I want to tell you, it's so full on, the witchcraft, and we literally saw blood start coming out of a tree. That's creepy. <laughs> and, I mean, it was crazy. And the stories and the things that, that, I mean, full on, guys. And I'm telling you, this kind of stuff, yeah, the enemy has power. Absolutely. But we know that Moses' serpent will eat the enemy's serpent. We know that when the Bible tells us, when, you know, when, when Stephen, I'm sorry, when Philip is preaching the gospel in Samaria and this Simon the sorcerer, you know, he, he rocks up and he's, he's known as having the power of God and everybody listened to him and they followed him. But then what ends up happening is Philip shows up and Philip walks in a greater level of power and anointing and even Simon the sorcerer ends up saying, whoa, your power is the power of the true and living God. Give me some of that. In other words, and listen, guys, we can see stuff and we can deal stuff with stuff. And if we decide that we're really going to step out and we're going to go after the devil and we're going to go after the juggler, come on now. And I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen at that point is we're going to have to be prepared to know how to fight. Because it's not going to be, a, you know, a picnic. If you decide, I'm going to really see people set free. Uh, the, I, you know, this person is struggling. This person is demonized. This person is, is messed up. This person is suicidal. This person is in bondage. When you begin to say, look, I'm going to go after that in the name of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to proclaim that the gospel is the power of God, and it's able to set people free. When you're going to go after sickness and disease, and you're going to say, God is a healing God. He still does miracles today. Then I'm going to tell you that there will be spiritual resistance. There will be opposition, but I want to tell you this, that greater is he that is in me and you than he that is in the world. We don't have to be afraid. Sometimes you hear Christians like, well, you know what, are you really prepared? Like, kind of like, you know? Yeah, I am. So what happens if the enemy says, boo. Remember Smith Wigglesworth? Here's a noise, gets up in the middle of the night, walks out into, you know, the next room, and he says, oh, there's the devil sitting in a rocking chair, back and forth, Satan himself. And he said, oh, it's only you. Good night. <laughs> it's only you. Good night. The reality is the enemy just tries to use fear. That's all he has. That's all he can do. But the, but the fact is we have this power, guys, to set people free. We have this power to liberate cities. Do you see this in Acts chapter 8? Cities were liberated. There was great joy in cities. Now, we're not just talking about revelation and demonstration. Now we're talking about citywide transformation. 
This is at another level. This is the place that God wants to, the gospel to be. If you read about it, he says, he talks about making disciples of nations, of ethnic groups. In other words, he's saying entire ethnic groups he wants to see saved. Isn't that awesome? Entire nations saved. And you go to certain places in the world, this has been happening. This has truly been happening. I mean, there's some of the, some of the darkest places in the world. That's now some of the places that have more churches, more Christians than anywhere else. Places that were given up on. No hope. AIDS. Idi Amin. You know the story. Uganda. Now you go to Uganda. And they've dedicated the whole country to Jesus, the president and his wife. They have prayer. They have, you know, freedom to preach the gospel in the schools. The, the, the things have turned around. I'm not saying there isn't corruption. I'm not saying there aren't challenges. But I'm saying is that things have turned around because they said, number one, it should have been a Muslim nation under Idi Amin. Number two, they should have been pretty much the whole nation wiped out by AIDS. But God intervened. And people called on his name. And things turned around. Again, I'm not saying it's a perfect place and there's not room for improvement. You see, God wants us to believe him for encounters. It has to be an encounter that starts with us as individuals. But he also wants people to encounter him. He wants people to know his power. Not just this message, you know, about how much he loves them, but the fact is they have to know and experience the power of the gospel. They have to know and experience the love of Jesus Christ. And that's what's going to change people. The true gospel is not just a message, but it's a, the power of God in operation to change people's lives. Tangibly, profoundly, through healings, miracles, deliverance, signs and wonders, changing lives, imparting joy where there's no joy, giving peace where people have no hope. This is the gospel of the kingdom. And when we look at the scripture, we see, I believe, at least four reasons why God expects us to believe for and contend for a gospel that is not just merely in word, but in power. There are at least four reasons. Over the next little while, I'm, I'm going to unpack some of these. The first thing that I want to talk about is simply this, the comprehensiveness of the gospel. For many of us, we have misunderstood the true message of the cross. You see, the message of the gospel is that Jesus is Savior. He's healer. He's deliverer. When it says in Scripture, you shall call his name Jesus. Of course, in Hebrew, it says you shall call his name Yeshua. And Yeshua, which is the equivalent of what we say in Joshua. Joshua is the one who led them across the out of the wilderness into the promised land where they possessed every promise that was theirs. So Jesus is a type of Joshua who led them into the promised land. He took them out of the wilderness, crossed over the Jordan River 
and entered into the promised land where they experienced, or it was God's intention that they would experience the fullness of all of his promises and all of the things and his blessings that they would experience it in their lifetime. So it wasn't just, well, one day you will enter into heaven and this will be yours. If you read what God said through Moses and through Joshua, it was when you enter into the land, you will possess all of my promises. You will be blessed. You will enter into peace. You will live in authority and security. And he said, and you will enter into a place of rest. When the rest that he speaks of literally speaks of spiritual authority where you walk in such a place of power and authority that the enemy is afraid of you. If I were to preach this and really go into it, one of the places I would take you is 2 Chronicles chapter 20, where it says very clearly that Jehoshaphat, who was a righteous man, because his ways pleased the Lord, that the Lord gave him rest, and all of the the nations around him were afraid of him, and they wouldn't even dare attack him because of the hand of God that was on his life. What does that mean when we're constantly saying, you know what, the enemy just keeps attacking me, keeps attacking me. Yeah, he's going to attack us. But the reality is, guys, we don't have to allow him to overcome us. We can laugh at him. And we can say, what you're doing right now might even try to, you know, fear, right? What does he use? He uses fear. Fear, like, well, I'm going to do this to you. It's like, who's afraid of the big bad wolf, right? I mean, come on. Look at, what am I, I'm going to do this to you. And, and you, if you are led by fear and not faith, it will result in, in one of two things happening in your life. Fear either paralyzes you or it causes you to panic. If it paralyzes you, you'll lag, be, you'll lag behind, you'll, you'll stay stuck, and you won't move forward with what God is trying to do, tell you to do. But it also can cause the opposite effect where you panic and you just run ahead and you try to do things on your own. You get ahead of God, and you're not walking in sync with the Lord. And that's because we respond on the basis or react on the basis of fear. We're not responding to what the Spirit of God is saying in our situation. And we have to come to that place where we realize that we have such an intimate, close walk with God that we understand the things that he's saying to us, and we can hear his voice, and we can know that we're being led by the Spirit, and we know that we have this power to destroy the works of the enemy. And so no matter what is happening in the natural, we're just going to dig deeper. We're just going to pray harder. We're just going to believe more so than we've ever done, and we're going to keep going after the promises of God, and we're going to keep worshiping God, and we're going to keep binding the enemy, and we're going to keep confronting him until we see the breakthrough that God has promised in his word. Yeah, when they crossed the River Jordan, there were enemies, giants. There were adversaries. But the reality is God said, you're able. You can do this. I'm with you. You don't have to allow this to happen in your life. And you know what the enemy does often? He tries to use people who have not learned, for whatever reason, to walk in their authority 
to constantly be a source of distraction and preoccupation in your life. It could be a spouse, could be a child, it could be a friend, a family member. But he'll use those type of people who are struggling and who don't know who they are. And he wants you to get your eyes off of him and look at what he's doing in their life. And listen to me, it can be very subtle at times. Very subtle because let me tell you that every one of us is on a journey. And I want to say there are some people that are here today who are at a place where in their relationship with God, there's still things they need to change. There's still areas they need to lay down and repent of and, and, and forsake and in order to follow after God. But the fact is, even in the midst of all of that, you can look at what's happening and you can see that area of weakness and that bondage or that sin in their lives and you can focus just on that thing. And it's like... Man, I wish they'd change. I wish they would, you know, grow up or become the person God wants them to be. But have you not seen or do you not see the rest of the picture? Do you not see where they were and where they are now? And can you not believe that the one who started a good work is faithful to complete it in them? And there comes that point where we have to believe that. And you know what? And we enter rest, we know who we are. We know that when we decree a thing, it shall come to pass. We know that when we speak forth something and we bind the works of the enemy, that the powers of the enemy must submit, must listen. And yes, it doesn't necessarily happen the very first time you say it, but as you persist and as you keep declaring the truth of God's word and you keep taking authority over your circumstance and situation, you will begin to see the breakthrough you will begin to see that situation turn. So the first thing that we have to come to a, an understanding about is that the nature of the gospel, the character or the comprehensiveness of the gospel, the gospel isn't just a message that's about forgiving sins. That's certainly the most important part because you can have your body healed and still not go to be with the Lord in eternity. Absolutely. But we also have to remember that the forgiveness of sins is just literally the entranceway into a life of kingdom reality. Um, and when we're forgiven of our sins, when we're born again, now we can see the kingdom. Now, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Jesus was saying, you can't understand, you can't relate to, you can't inhabit and live in that culture of the kingdom unless you're born again. But when you are born again, now you are translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And you come into that place. And now you can walk in the light. Now you can begin to experience all of the promises of his kingdom. So we enter into it. But then there's a place where we realize. Some people are like, well, really, you know, it's not really. I'm more concerned about the fruit of the spirit than I am in the gifts of the spirit. And then we have other Christians that talk more about the gifts of the Spirit than the fruit of the Spirit. But you know, I mean, like, you know, people that, well, they, they, they talk about healing the sick, prophesying, speaking in tongues, but look at their lives. It's a train wreck. They're messed up. They've got problems. There's more of failures. We see it constantly. But the, uh, the answer is not the opposite. Not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Not to say, well, you know what? 
I don't believe in that stuff because I met too many Christians that claim to be charismatic that, you know, have, have not had the character of Jesus Christ in their lives. Yeah, you think the enemy says, yeah, go ahead, preach the gospel in your own strength. Yeah, you don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. Go try to live in your own strength. Try to do it in your own power and ability. And he's applauding that. He just loves that. Because the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You cannot contend against the powers of darkness. You cannot see the supernatural phenomenon like signs and wonders and miracles and deliverances that are going to open up people's hearts to the gospel and even entire cities without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not, it's not apologetics that we need. It's apostolic anointing that we need. It breaks open realms and brings us into that place where the power of God is manifested. You're called to walk in the power of the Spirit. You're called to carry that kingdom everywhere you go. All of us. Yes, there, are, there is an apostolic anointing. Yes, there is an office of the apostle that is used to break things open. But the reality is we're all called to walk in this place of authority a power over what the enemy's doing to see people's lives set free. When I traveled, Lynn and I traveled full-time for 10 years as itinerant ministers preaching in hundreds if not thousands of churches, and I can tell you this, that when we'd fly into certain cities or, you know, come to certain cities, sometimes we'd be asked, so brother, what spirit did you discern is the strong man in our city. What spirit? And I said, well, you know what? I said, I honestly, I, I, when I walked in, I just said, when I came into the city, yeah, I said, wow, you know what? The spirit of the most high God is here. The spirit of Jesus is in this place. That's not to say there aren't strongholds or other spirits in operation. We know that is the case, but the fact is, I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit can change and shift atmospheres, shift environments, so that the Holy Spirit can begin to have his way in a city. And look at Samaria as a case study. Read it closely. Look at what God did. He changed that city. Come on, that's like sending a white man into the hood. All right? I mean, and God's done that to me many, many times. Okay. I've preached in Harlem. I've preached in places when the gunshots are going off and in Detroit and in the worst parts of Chicago. I've preached in all these places and seen incredible breakthroughs and reception to our ministry. But you're like, who is this white guy? You know, who is he? And look, because God sent me in and it wasn't the fact that I was preaching like I was a black man. Okay. I can preach like a black man if I have to. Trust me. Okay, in the Lord's said, I can do it, trust me. I mean, they had the ham and organ playing in the background, and I was preaching and sweating, and you know, I mean, awesome. I love it. But the fact is, that's not what did it. When they saw the power of God, I remember one time I was in a black church in America, 
And the power of God showed up in such a way that people were just knocked down by the Holy Spirit. We were in another black church in the south side of Chicago. The, that is the murder capital of the world. Right now, already, already hundreds of people have been shot. And it, this year. And listen to me. The fact is... That particular area, the place where we went and we saw the power of God show up, we had people, a couple of Muslim sisters, walk forward just for prayer and ministry because their sister had gotten saved through the ministry. And as they're walking forward, they get like right around there and the Holy Spirit just knocks them down. Two Muslims. No one touched them. They got saved. The whole family turned to Christ. I've seen it happen. And listen to me. People came back. People came in. Gang members. They got saved. They gave the heart to Jesus Christ. Why? Because I was the least qualified, but God qualified me. Let me show you one scripture in closing. Can we throw this up on the screen? Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Really doesn't matter what translation... Acts chapter 2, verse 22. I want to show you something about the ministry of Jesus himself. Jesus was accredited. How many know that he did not have a bachelor of theology or a master of divinity? Do you realize that? You know what? He didn't even have an ordination certificate. Wow. I mean, he would not be welcome to pastor today in most places. Because in that day, you, you, you needed those, those credentials. But look at it says here. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene. How? How did God publicly endorse him? By doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. In the New International Version, it says he was accredited by God through miracle signs and wonders. Do you see that? Accredited. Wow. <laughs> His credentials was the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 says, He went around doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. Why? Because God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and power. We have to have encounter today. We can see the power of the Holy Spirit released. We can believe it. Don't sit back and just let the enemy do what he's doing in your life, in the life of your family. I can say as a pastor in the life of a church, I'm not going to do that. If you saw an animal attack someone you loved, what would you do? Right? You take a stick or whatever you had to and you chase off that animal, right? And we see the enemy attacking people and we need a big stick. We need to just begin to go after him and say, no, I'm sorry, this is not acceptable. You're not allowed to do this because I have power and authority and I have a big stick. It's the rod of God. <laughs> yeah. And the rod of God to chase off the enemy, right? The rod of God to chase after the enemy. And when you see that happening in someone's life, 
you know, we've wrestled not against flesh and blood. It may not be appropriate to necessarily deal with what's happening with them directly, but understand there's a spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2 verse 2. Did you hear that? There's a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. That's what it says. So that's why we have to go after the spirit. That's why we have to go after the spirit. All of a sudden you bind the spirit and the next thing you know, the person's like a different person. I remember, I remember when I first got saved, I'm on a, on a bus with a friend of mine and um, we were doing um, outreach on the streets. We were meeting in people's homes in the worst part of the city. We lived in the worst city in Canada, okay? Highest crime rate, the most gangs. Uh, it's the worst city in, the, in Canada. We lived there and we went to the worst part of the worst city and we started reaching out to people and God started moving. And as we began to do that, what ends up happening is we see miracles take place. The Holy Spirit shows up in homes in different places. Well, it's one guy that I was with, and I was just a brand new Christian. He was mentoring me. We got on a bus, and we get on the bus, and this man gets on the bus, sits beside us, and he's clearly demonized. And all he does is start looking at us and cursing us and saying all sorts of nasty things just sitting beside us. And my friend goes, shut up, I bind that spirit in Jesus' name, be quiet. And the guy went. I'm telling you, the, the whole bus ride, he couldn't even talk. <laughs> Literally. I was like, whoa, that's power. Yeah, it actually worked. God has that type of power. But it's this simple childlike faith that says, no, you're not doing that. And we take authority. God has given us credentials. He wants to publicly endorse us as he did his son. Because Jesus said, the works that I do show you do also and even greater works because I go to be my father. John 14, 12. So that's a calling that we have, guys. This generation is not going to come to Jesus Christ just through us being nice having, you know, amazing coffee. Come on now. Seriously, man, do they have like the most amazing coffee? Like you need to go to that church. Really? Come on. I mean, look at, it's not the ambiance. It's not what the building looks like, even though that's all good and fine, like good coffee, like nice things, but that's not what's gonna do it. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to change people's lives. And so we need to begin to continue. We need to begin or continue to pray. We had an amazing prayer time this morning. Before the service, we moved into the Cullen Room right here. Come on out and be part of that, 915. We are seeking God for a move of the Holy Spirit. Let's believe him for what he wants to do. Let's believe him for breakthrough. Let's believe him for miracles. Can we stand together? We're going to close. Yeah, you guys, if you come, we're going to close with worship. And if you're here this morning and you just say, look, you know what? I just, I need God to do something.